0: Amen. It is great to be blessed with such a great team of people who do a great job of leading us. Thank you for that. Uh, I also want to take a moment before I get into my message just to say thank you. And I am so grateful for your generosity and your love toward myself and Pastor Lee and to the rest of the staff as well. We are very blessed to be a part of such a great team. And when I say a great team, I'm not just talking about the staff. I'm talking about all of us. We are all a part of the same team, and it is such a blessing. I've been in situations where it's not like that, and it is a privilege and an honor to be a part of this team. So thank you very, very much for your generosity. Pastor Lee's nodding back there as well. So. It is a privilege. It is great to be with you all this morning, to be able to share with you and to be able to uh, dig into God's word, and we're going to do that. Also, it's an opportunity for us to maybe evaluate our own lives and our own families. In fact, I want to begin, how many of you have ever thought that your family was really messed up? Husbands, please do not raise your hands, as I don't, th- I don't want this to turn into a marriage counseling session, but you know who you are already, so it's okay. Okay. When I think of family dysfunction, my mind immediately races to Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. He was certainly known for many things that were very noble. He was a friend of God. He was a man of great faith. He was a man who was willing to sacrifice anything and everything to his God. But the truth is that his family was incredibly dysfunctional. In fact, consider Abraham's pursuit of a son. For years, he longed for a son, yet nothing. In a culture that so greatly valued sons over daughters, Abraham wasn't even able to have a daughter. According to the scriptures, his wife, by the way, I'm going to mess up their names somewhere along the way here. Sometimes it's Abram and Sarai, and then later it becomes Abraham and Sarah. So whichever one I say, you know who I'm talking about. It's okay. According to the scriptures, his wife, Sarah, was barren, unable to bear any children. Now, it should be noted that her inability to bear children is not where we see the family dysfunction. The reality is that there are many homes today that find themselves childless, yet that doesn't make them dysfunctional. The real problem with Abraham and Sarah is not the fact that they faced adversity, but rather the fact that they made some foolish choices to resolve their adversity. In fact, I had Jared read it earlier, but listen to Genesis 16 as it describes their route to solve their problem. Genesis 16, beginning in verse 1, says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abraham, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abraham said to Sarah, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And then Sarah dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. I got to tell you, this is nothing but dysfunction. To begin with, Sarah can't bear children, so she offers to let Abraham have a sexual relationship with a servant girl. And then... After Abraham agrees to the recommendation and Hagar becomes pregnant, Sarah turns it back on him. She says, may the wrong done to me be upon you. You know what she's saying? This is your fault. All right, husbands, let's let's just get through this. Husbands, when your wife says, that's fine, do not believe her. When she says, I don't care what you do, do not believe her. She is thinking in her mind, she knows what she wants. This isn't even that. In this situation, Sarah says to Abraham, hey, you know what? I'm not able to have children. Why don't you have a child with my maidservant? Abraham says, okay. And all of a sudden, Abraham, what were you thinking? (laughs) Talk about dysfunction here. I mean no disrespect to Abraham or Sarah, but the truth is that they both seem a little bit crazy. But I also want to be fair to them. It is likely that they are not so much crazy, but rather they are being impacted by each other's brokenness. Sarah's invitation to let her husband sleep with her servant reveals how defeated she already was. And I know that y'all think that men... Are all about sex, but the reality is that Abraham's willingness to go along with this plan also reveals his own brokenness. I mean, he's been faithful to her for decades, and in a manner, such an act would have seemed almost like a surrender like, I give up, it's just not gonna happen. Then you have this typical response from both of them where they both blame each other Abraham, this is your fault. No, Sarah, she's your servant. Do with her whatever you want. Add to this the fact that you now have baggage with another woman that you have to deal with. Well, it's this other woman that I really want to focus on this morning. And one could argue that she was nothing more than a victim throughout this story. She is a servant girl. She's given to Abraham for the purpose of making a baby. And yes, She probably seemed a a bit contemptuous towards Sarah afterwards, but she also likely felt highly valued for the first time in a very long time. Well, Sarah becomes indignant with Hagar and basically runs her off only to have her return and bear a son to Abraham. Fourteen years would then pass before Sarah would also give birth to a son. And at that point, neither Hagar nor Ishmael are deemed necessary. We don't need an heir now because we've got one through Sarah's son, Isaac. So Abraham seems hesitant about this, but Sarah has had enough. Hagar and Ishmael are evicted. In fact, in Genesis 21, verse 10, we are told that Sarah said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And then I want you to listen to the rest of the story here in Genesis 21. As we see how desperate, Hagar suddenly becomes. Beginning in verse 14, it says So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is Up, Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness became an expert with a bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Now, I want you to imagine... The desperation and the brokenness that Hagar and Ishmael must be experiencing. They've spent the past 14 plus years living in the household of Abraham with all of their provisions at their fingertips. And suddenly they are evicted from the only home that Ishmael has ever known, and nothing more than some bread and a single skin of water is given to them. Add to this the emotional brokenness that they both would have experienced. Ishmael's own father was the one who turned them out into the wilderness. In fact, when it speaks of the Lord hearing the voice of the boy, my mind immediately goes to an infant. But he's a teenager by now. This boy is likely inconsolable. His own father has betrayed him, and he had likely dreamed of not only becoming Abraham's heir, but he's probably dreamed of becoming like Abraham. And now you have this. Another element of his brokenness is what spurred this eviction all along. Earlier in this chapter, it tells us that Ishmael had mocked the baby Isaac, causing Sarah to demand them to leave. I wonder if a part of his brokenness was because he saw this as potentially being his own fault. So they find themselves physically destitute. They're emotionally distraught, and they seem content to just sit and wait for death to come and overtake them. In fact, she hides them under a bush, so that she does not have to watch him suffer and die. Again, probably feeding his sense of abandonment that he likely already had because of dad. And it was in this moment, having separated even from one another, that they both likely thought to themselves, I am all alone. It should be noted that they were not all alone They had each other, yet in their brokenness, they felt alone. Nobody else is here for me. I have been abandoned by everybody. Let me take this moment to challenge each of you today. I have much more to share and to challenge you with, but I want you to recognize today, I don't know what you go through, what you're facing today, but I want you to know that you are not alone. I know that for many These past two years have left us feeling somewhat alone. We've been separated from one another because of a pandemic and fear of what might happen if we come together. And even today, there are those who cannot leave their homes due to health issues, and the feeling is I am all alone. More than that, there are those who attend church every Sunday, yet they still feel alone. They're going through a crisis that seems beyond them, but they won't let others in. Maybe it's shame over our own choices that we've made along the way. Maybe it's just the fear that everybody else is going to know my business. Maybe it's just not knowing where to turn. There are many reasons that we find ourselves fighting these battles alone. Well, I want you to know that this is the place to turn. Individually speaking, you have people here in this church who care about you, and they want to be there for you. I told you a minute ago how much of an honor it is to be a part of a team, and not just the staff, but all of us. I love the fact that this is a church that genuinely cares about the people around us. But it's more than just the individual, even in a corporate sense. This is the place to turn. I don't know if you've ever noticed the church logo that is on the screen behind me here. It looks like an arrow that is pointing up, but it's more than that. It's also intended to be a canopy where the broken can come underneath it to find rest and healing. It's like when the sun is beating down on you and you just need to find a piece of shade. I remember several years ago, while on a work team in Haiti, the temperature was about 95 to 100, somewhere in there. It was about 9 o'clock in the morning. We had to be out at a work site for several hours. The driver dropped us off, and then he said, I'll be back. But there were multiple problems. On the one hand, supplies that were supposed to be present were not there. In addition, none of us had a cell phone to call the lead missionary. In addition, there was only one spot to give us any shade. There was a wall that was standing nearby, and at the beginning of the day, again at nine o'clock, we could stand in the shade. We had to lean up against the wall. We sat there for almost four hours. You know what happens by one o'clock. That shade is gone. It can be very difficult when you're in the beating sun, the hot sun and you have no place to find comfort and rest. The church is supposed to be a place where we find rest, comfort, and strength. We have a canopy to hide under, and we don't have to do it alone. Look around you this morning. Every person in this room has experienced brokenness and sorrow in some way or form. It may not look exactly like yours, but it's just as real. And as such, we ought to be able to stand together, helping one another make it through. It's what Paul was talking about in Romans 12:15 when he instructs the church to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We are in this together. I remember years ago hearing that if one of us wins. Then all of us wins. If one of us loses, then all of us loses. The idea is that we need to take care of each other. We need to be there when others hurt and when others celebrate. And together we can be strong. The second thought that I imagine Hagar had as we read this passage is not just I am all alone, but God is not listening. She's already been abandoned by Abraham. Why would God be any different? It should be noted that her understanding of God would have been very limited. We're told several chapters back that she was an Egyptian, meaning that her understanding of God would have likely related to Pharaohs and their different aspects of nature. Her understanding of who God truly is has likely developed from her interaction with Abraham. And he just kicked her to the curb. What does she expect? of Abraham's God. Let me pause for a moment and address this application to us. My guess is that there are many in the world today that have been hurt by people in the church. We're like Abraham. We have the privilege of introducing the rest of the world to a holy, good, and loving God, yet far too many of us have not lived up to the high standards which God calls us to. And the result is that the rest of the world gets a distorted view of what God is really like. That's why in Revelation chapter 3, God calls out the church of Laodicea. The church of Laodicea had a great history. They were strong. They had done good things. But somewhere along the way, something went wrong. And in his letter to the church of Laodicea, he actually calls them out. He says, you disgust me. He says, I wish you were hot or cold, but you are neither one. He says, you are lukewarm. He says, because of that, I want to, if you look at the King James version, it says, I am about to spew you out of my mouth. NIV, it says, spit you out of my mouth. But I like the word spew because it's disgusting. And that's what Jesus is saying to the church. You are not the church that you're supposed to be. The problem with one who is lukewarm, is that they do not give an accurate depiction of what Christ is all about. He actually says, I wish you were one or the other. Okay, I get it. He wishes we were hot. He wishes we were so passionately in love with our God that the rest of the world could look on us and say, that's what it is to be a man of God. That's what it is to be a woman of God. But he says, I wish, actually, I wish you were cold. I would rather you not even take the name of Jesus than for you to take the name of Jesus and then live like it means nothing to you. Because what happens is you give the rest of the world a view of God that is not very accurate. I'd rather you be one or the other, but instead you've chosen to be lukewarm. The reality is that there have been many Christians who have not given Jesus a good name. So here's the truth. There are hypocrites in the church, believe it or not. And even some of the people in this room have likely fallen short of what we should have done. And I am sorry that many of us have failed in representing Christ accurately. But those failures do not reflect how good our God really is. In fact, the only thing our failures reveal about God is that he is incredibly gracious even to us. And if God can forgive those who have fallen short at representing him, you can trust that his grace is big enough for you too. So back to the story. It's likely that Hagar felt that she felt as if God was not listening to her. If he were listening to her, then she wouldn't be left so desolate. Here I am, I have nothing, and now I've got to sit and wait for me and my son to die. We have no hope. No doubt she is blinded by her current suffering, her current situation, and who could blame her? What do you think? Does God hear your prayers? 1 John 5, 14 says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. But even David, a man after God's own heart, faced the same fears and doubts as Hagar. This led him to cry out in Psalm 22, verse 1 and 2, which says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever heard that before? It's actually what Jesus prayed on the cross, but David prayed it as well. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. But we can take courage in knowing that he definitely does hear our prayers. In fact, one of the most familiar verses in the Old Testament comes from Jeremiah chapter 29. In verse 11, it says that God has great plans for us, plans to prosper us, give us a hope and a future. Then it follows up in verses 12 and 13 saying this, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is the Lord's promise. I will listen to you. All you have to do is seek me with all your heart. I'm here. The root of this misconception of God not listening is found in the idea that God is not here. Perhaps Hagar felt as if God was present in the midst of her blessing. God was present when she was there with Abraham, but perhaps now that she is no longer with Abraham, she felt as if God was no longer available to her, or perhaps she was just so blinded by her current circumstance that she had forgotten how God had already shown himself to be faithful to her in the past. For example, back in Genesis 16, I had Jared read from that chapter earlier. She had a personal encounter with the one true living God. In fact, listen to Genesis 16, 13. It says, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. He sees you but you act like you're all alone, like he's abandoned you and he doesn't care about you anymore. That is not true. Deep down inside, she had to know that God was still with her, yet she was so blinded by her sorrow. Have you ever been there? Blinded by sorrow? Blinded by regret? Or maybe broken dreams? I think probably most of us have at some point or another. In Hagar's case, we're told that the Lord had to open her eyes to the fact that there was a well nearby, because all she could see was her suffering. Y'all have heard me quote God's promise to us over and over again that he would never leave us nor forsake us, something he said on multiple occasions. What Hagar didn't realize was that God had already been working things out for her and her son. He put her in just the right place with everything that she needed. And even in her difficult circumstance, God was there. The same is true for you and for me. Why are we having to go through all of this? God, have you abandoned me? No, he will always be present and he longs to help you in the midst of your brokenness. I don't know what you face today, but I want you to know that God is still there and he cares for you very deeply. The best thing for us to do is to turn to him. I know I told you earlier that this is the place to go, and it is. You've got people who are on this journey with you, and we want to be able to fight with you, not against you, but with you. But our greatest hope is not even in the people here, Our greatest hope is in the Lord. What does your brokenness look like? He's the one to fix it. If you would bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you today, we are so grateful for your faithfulness. But some of us come today and, and, and at this very moment, we are experiencing incredible brokenness. There's abandonment issues that are present all around us. Maybe because a loved one turned their back on us. Maybe because a job where we felt so secure and everything was perfect and it seemed like my life was falling into place, suddenly that job is ripped away from us. Maybe because we've had people fail us, maybe even in the church. Lord, today we come recognizing that there is brokenness. Sometimes it's not as significant as some of these things, but what happens is even the the little things add up. Father, we come before you today recognizing that we can't fix our brokenness on our own, but we know that you can. So Father, I pray right now that you would bring healing. I pray that you would be the one to uphold us, I pray that you would be our strength, that you would provide much like you provided for Hagar and her son, Lord, that every step of the way you would very clearly be working on our behalf. Lord, I also pray that you would help us to not feel like we are alone on this journey. So often we internalize and we feel like nobody can understand us and nobody could ever relate to us. Maybe nobody could ever love us in the midst of these things. But Lord, I pray today that you would make it so evident in our lives that we are definitely not alone. That we have others who will walk alongside us. Help us to turn to those individuals, family, church, Lord, help us to be the church that laughs with one another, rejoices with one another, that weeps with one another, that grieves together. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be one. Father, I pray that we would recognize your grace in the midst of your church. Whatever type of brokenness we're dealing with today, Lord, we release it to you and we seek your healing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I got to tell you, I've never heard a sermon on Hagar. Never heard a sermon on Hagar before. But there is great truth because I believe that many of us can relate to who she was. So you can't say you've never heard one because now you have. So it is such a blessing to have you with us today. Thank you so much. I said it at the beginning, but thank you for your generosity and grace. It is such a privilege to be a part of such a great church. May God continue to bless you and work through you. I encourage you, if you can, come to Sunday School. We have great Sunday School classes. We have a membership class that's going to be uh, going on today. So if you want to be a part of that, we welcome you as well. Thank you. Go in peace.